Oh, God, what can we say? Our hearts have been stirred up today, testimony after testimony, in the baptistry here in front of us. The power, the supernatural power of divine life in our very human journeys. We praise you. Oh, God, the good news, it really is good news, isn't it? Teach us once again from Holy Scripture. Make it clear for us. Don't let us miss what you have for us right now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know who are the two most influential human beings in the history of the human race? Think. Who are the two most influential human beings in the history? These two. By the way, both are young adults. Both were, both were young adults. Both were male. Let me tell you who they are not. Just think about the, this great pantheon of, of famous people. This is who they are not. You, you can jot these down if you wish. They do not include Moses, the greatest human genius of all time and the most prolific writer of the Old Testament. They do not include Paul, the brilliant Christian intellect that shaped the theology of the Christian church and the most prolific writer in the New Testament. These two do not include John the Baptist. Jesus said of John, there has been no greater prophet in the history of earth to emerge from a woman's womb. These two do not include Abraham, called by Holy Scripture the father of the entire saved in history. And by the way, these two... Do not include Luther, Martin Luther, the revolutionary German theologian and pastor who reshaped the history of Christianity. Nor do they include William Shakespeare, the shining English playwright who catapulted English into the language of art and literature. Nor do these two include Charles Darwin, the British scientist who forever shifted the scientific paradigm by introducing a godless model for the interpretation of the origin of life. Nor do these two include Muhammad Ali, Voted the greatest sports figure in the history of human sports, but his greatest claim to fame, of course, being that he lives in Berrien Springs, Michigan, our favorite son. Hallelujah. Eight great names. Not one of those is among these two male young adults who more than any other who have lived on this planet have impacted the human race. Who are these two? Write them down, please. Take your study guide out. It's in your worship bulletin right now. Take that study guide out. Thank you, ushers, for putting the study guides in the hands of those who might have gotten in uh, this morning without picking up a worship bulletin. Those of you watching on TV, let me put the website on the screen for you. Go to our website, www.pmchurch.tv. If you go to that website, find our series called Wine and Milk. This happens to be Wine and Milk Part 14, a year-long journey this particular school year. Click on to the title of this particular teaching, How Much of All is All. When you click onto that, you will see a little box that says Study Guide. Click there and you will have the study guide that we are going to fly through together right now, you and I. All right, write it down. Who are these two? Get your pen moving because, because of one... We are born lost. Write that in, please. Because of one, let's put it on the screen, please. Because of one, we are born lost. There you go. Keep your pen moving. Because of the other, we are born found. Because of, keep writing. Because of one, we are born rebels. Because of the other, we are born redeemed. Who are they? Uh, you, you have to read it in the scriptures for yourself. Write in, finish in this reference. Put in the book title, please. First Corinthians. 
right in 1 Corinthians. There it is, 1 Corinthians. We're going to take a look. Open your Bible, please. We're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you manage to get in here and you say, Oh, brother, I forgot to bring my Bible. We have a Bible in the pew rack right in front of you. Pull that Bible out. It's the same translation I'll be teaching out of today. The New King James Version. And by the way, it would be page 776. If you want to find it quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A fascinating, fascinating uh, study that we embark on this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Drop down. That's a long chapter. Whoa. Drop down towards the end of the chapter. Verse 45. Let's pick it up there. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. Verse 47. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. There you go. The second capital M man is the Lord from heaven. Verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Hold on, verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Write it in, please. Who are these two? Man number one. Write it down. First Adam of earth. That's the first Adam of earth. Man number one. Man number two. Second Adam of earth. Heaven. In fact, keep, keep, your, keep your pen moving. Let's fill out to verse 22 just a little bit earlier in this chapter. For as in Adam, write it in, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. There they are, ladies and gentlemen, the two most powerfully influential people in the history of the human race, Adam and Jesus. The question is, which one has the most influence on you? Pick up the Bible again. Let's, let's cut to the chase. We have been spending this... This year in the book of Romans, go once again to Romans. We'll pick up where we left off. Romans chapter 5. Incredible teaching right here. You've got to see it for yourself. Romans chapter 5. Drop down to verse 12. The great uh, Swedish theologian Anders Nygren calls this the key to the entire epistle. We've come now to the key. Here we go. In fact, let me put, uh, let me put uh, Nygren's words on the screen for you. The best place to begin, he writes, for an inclusive view of the meaning of Romans, you've got to begin in the fifth chapter's comparison of Adam and Christ. This gives the key. We're about to pick up the key. Can you believe this? Part 14, and we finally get to the key. This gives the key to the whole epistle. When we attain to its height, all that proceeds and all that follows spread out before us in one inclusive view. All right, let's go. This is it. This is the key. Romans chapter 5. Pick it up in verse 12. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and... Time out. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute, Paul. I don't know. There's, a, there's, a, there's some mistake here because this says just as through one man. Paul, you got it all wrong. We all know it was not through one man. It was through one woman. Isn't that right? Everybody knows the truth. Through one woman. The woman is the one who sinned. Isn't that right? I mean, she lifted her... When she heard that, Hey, you, good looking up here. She lifted those pretty fluttering eyes, locked into the hypnotic, hypnotic chant, enchanting gaze of that cocked and coiled, iridescent serpent. Yeah, we know. fact is, the reality, too many men today cannot say no to their hormones. Too many men today cannot say no to their 
infatuations. Too many men today cannot say no to their woman. We'd like to finger Eve. Of course we would. But the fact of the matter is that Eve is not the culpable one. Adam was culpable. Adam could have said no. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? I believe that God could have saved the human race if Adam had said no. Right there. I read somewhere, somewhere I read that Lucifer came to a moment when he could have repented in heaven and God, God, said, God would have said, look, it's, forget it, it's okay. Let's just, just, just start over. I believe if Adam had said no, God could have somehow found a way. Maybe died for Eve if he would have died for one. Romans is absolutely right. Man is culpable. Adam is. Therefore, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. Please mark that down in your Bible. Death was never some sort of mean, arbitrary spite that God threatened to wreak on those who don't like Him anymore. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you if you don't love me. Ah, never. Death is simply the antithesis of life. God is life. He's the life support system of the entire universe. You walk away from Him and you will yank out the plug from the very life support system that is keeping you alive. And guess what? If you pull that plug, eventually you will stop breathing. You will. I was in an ICU unit when they pulled the plug on a man and I watched him die. You have to have that life support system. Death is a natural, we should really say death is a very unnatural consequence of pulling the plug. And Adam and Eve pulled the plug, and just as God had sovereignly warned them, death ensued. All right, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. I tell you what, we cannot linger long with that little phrase, but I want, to, I want you to contemplate that phrase for one more moment. Death through sin. Those three words are the fatal flaw to Charles Darwin's evolutionary theory. Death through sin. If, if you believe this book. Because if the Bible is true, that death came through sin, then evolutionists and theistic evolutionists are dead wrong. You see, they embrace this strange amalgamation that seeks to make divine revelation somehow conform to human science by teaching that God started this evolutionary process eons ago and slowly He has allowed human beings to evolve after long ages of bloody death and cruel destruction called predation. It's a technical term. Until finally, Homo sapien emerges as a soulful being. It's a nifty little theory that allows it to... Adherence to stand on neither side of the issue, painfully straddling the fence of revelation and science. But to support that amalgamated theory, you are forced to reject what you and I just read. Death came through sin. I.e., the world, the world was pristine. The world was perfect in its original divine fiat creation. But, in fact, I wish you'd write this in, please. But. Because of human disobedience, death for the very first time entered the universe. That's what the Bible is, is teaching from beginning to ending. And that I want to say to my young scientist friends who are here at Andrews University. That is where God is asking you to stand. Believe it. I tell you what, one day you will be grateful you did. 
Uh, verse 12 again. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men and women because all sinned. And Paul stops. You see a dash in the uh, New King James translation. Paul simply stops. Come on, Paul, go, go take a breath. Finish the sentence. But he never finishes the sentence. I mean, it would be like me saying to you, look, look, just as it snowed yesterday from sunup to sundown. If I pause there and I say just as, what is it that you expect me to say eventually? Even so, just as it snowed yesterday from sunup to sundown, even so, it has snowed all day today. You have, if you have a just as if, then you have to have an even so. But there is no even so here. Paul, bless his heart, suddenly cuts his sentence off and launches into a great parenthetical statement that has made this one of the most complicated passages in Romans to understand. I want you to take a look at it because we really can't get there from here. But notice if you have the New King James Version, notice on the screen here, verse 13. Verse 13 actually begins with a parenthesis. There's this long dash at the end of 12. And now comes this parenthetical statement. Let's read the parenthetical statement. Verse 13. For, Paul digresses now. For, until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Paul's raising a series of one-point issues, eliciting, hopefully, questions in our minds. Wait a minute. Hold it. Question one. Look it. Before the Ten Commandments were ever spoken, wasn't there sin in the world? Paul says there was no sin in the world until the law. Wasn't there sin in the world before the Ten Commandments were ever spoken? But of course. Well, then how can that be? Since sin is a transgression of the law and there, were no Ten Commandment, uh, there was no Ten Commandment law yet. It's impossible. And yet, if death is a result of sin, how do you explain death taking place from Adam all the way through to Moses? People died, didn't they? Yep. So even if there was no law, there was sin and there was death. Was there not? Ah, Paul said, yes, ask that question. So what is it? What is it that reigns over the human race? Ah, Paul said, singular sin. What sin are you talking about, Paul? I'm talking about Adam's sin. In fact, write this down, please. The whole human race was infected from Adam's sin, which is why it's called original, original, original sin. Let me share with you a, a 60 second uh, a church history lesson. The great church father, Augustine, let's put his uh, picture on the screen. Augustine was the one who formalized this notion of original sin. The great sin at the origin of the human race, i.e., that would be Adam's sin. The only problem with Augustine and the Roman church that has embraced his teaching is that when Augustine taught original sin, he really meant original guilt. I.e., all the babies who are born into this world are born guilty of Adam's sin. But, ladies and gentlemen, the character of God and the teachings of Scripture, write this down, reject any notion of original guilt. In fact, Augustine must have missed this text. Bless his heart. Let's put the text. Keep your pen moving. This is from Ezekiel chapter 18. Fill it in. The soul who sins, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt. Write it down. The child doesn't bear the guilt. Of the father, Augustine missed that critical point. But you're saying, yeah, come on, Dwight. But look at crack babies. What are crack babies? You had a crack mother and now you got crack babies. You're right. But the babies are not guilty for the mother's choices. The babies are simply infected by mama's choice. 
there's a world, there's a universe, there's an eternal life difference between guilt and being infected or affected, right? You see, Augustine missed that. Which is why the church that embraced his teachings still teaches that infants must be baptized. Why? In order to purge their original guilt away so that in case they die young, they won't be lost. But hold a time out. The Bible teaches that God only holds all human beings accountable for the light, however small, for the light that shines on our pathway, right? And it isn't rocket science, ladies and gentlemen, to conclude that God is going to save hundreds of thousands of babies in eternity. Babies who never had a chance. They had no light on their pathway at all. Do you think God's going to kill them all? Get rid of them. Do you think? Uh-uh. And by the way, I believe that's not only true about babies. I believe that's true about the mentally retarded as well. I believe that God says, look, it's, they, don't, they don't know. I just got back this week from being in uh, South Africa. A meeting with 600 professional business leaders from the 10 southern African nations. One of the business leaders wanted me to see her business. Her name is Lynn Van Royen. And let me put, let me put a picture of uh, her business on the screen here. She runs the Takalani Home for the Physically and Mentally Handicapped. That's my friend George Knight. He was also over at this same convention. I want you to take a look at these pictures. It's a beautiful uh, institution, by the way. You see the... Uh, the uh, the lovely brick buildings and the lawn. This is, by the way, in Soweto, the largest township in Johannesburg. This is in Soweto. There's Lynn talking to us. Take a look at it. There's, there's one of the, one of the uh, patients hugging her. Do you think God looks at these and says, bad luck, bad genes. I could have saved you if you'd had better genes. A little choir that sang for us at the end. You know what I believe, ladies and gentlemen? I believe about babies and I believe about the mentally retarded that the ancient words of Malachi are true. That in heaven they will grow up as calves in the stall. They're just going to start over. God isn't going to just wipe them out. Original guilt. The Bible does not teach it. But original sin. We just read it in verse 12. Read verse 12 again. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men and women because all sin. By the way, all sin there in the Greek is in the aorist. That means past one little point in time. That's a one time past act. It doesn't read because everybody has kept on sinning. No. Paul is talking about one singular sin and that one singular sin is the original sin of Father Adam. That's who. That's Paul's point. Write it down. We are all born into solidarity with Adam. He's the corporate head of the fallen human race. Which is why even when there was no law, st sin still reigned and death through sin. Adam's sin has infected the entire human race. From that little classic education... Keep your pen moving. Let's just fill in this quotation, please. Education. The result of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is manifested in every man and woman's experience. There is in our nature a bent to evil. Write it in. A bent to evil. A force which unaided we cannot resist. Ladies and gentlemen, we have all bad news we have all been born on the wrong side of the tracks. It's not your fault. I mean, how could you possibly have chosen where you were to be born? Impossible to choose your place of birth. You're stuck as I am. We've been all born on the wrong side. And there is no hope for us unless 
God can deliver us. It's the only hope we've got. And now, Paul is ready to thunder the astonishing truth of the everlasting gospel. You've got, you got to see this. This is absolutely incredible. Okay, pick it up in verse 15. See, the parenthesis is still going. He still is holding his breath at the end of 12, but he's still writing in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense, all right? For if by one man's offense, the many... And by the way, you need to have the word the. The newer translations correctly have the word the. The article's there in the Greek. For if by one man's offense, that would be Adam's sin, the many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one capital M man, Jesus Christ, abounded to the many. Now keep reading verse 16. And the gift, whoa, the gift is not like that which came from the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. Hold on, hold, hold on, don't lose it now. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. How many, how many, Paul, tell us how many. Keep reading verse 17. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. End of parentheses. And finally, Paul takes a breath. And now Paul's ready. He said, oh, I didn't finish verse 12. I've got to finish verse 12. And remember, in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men and women because all sin. We have a just as. We need now. We have to have an even so. We've got the just as. We now need the even so. And sure enough, let me read verse 18 in your hearing. Here comes the even so. In fact, Paul's so afraid we've missed verse 12 because of his digression, by the way. He repeats verse 12, summarizes it in verse 18. Therefore... As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men and women, resulting in condemnation. Even so, here it comes. He finally gets back to what he started. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. I want your pen to write for a moment. Just, just move your pen for a moment. Would you write it down, please? All. I mean, you just read this in verse 18. All have been condemned through Adam's disobedience. All, the whole human race. But keep writing. All, you just read it. All have been justified, right, and justified, or acquitted through Christ's righteousness. All. Yep, we were all born in solidarity with Adam, but keep your pen moving. Thanks to Calvary, every human being is also born into solidarity with Christ, the second Adam. There is a new, write it in, head to the human race. Where the first Adam fell, the second Adam has conquered. Keep writing. Here's the today's English version translation of Romans 5.18. So then, as the one sin condemned all, write in all. All mankind, in the same way, the one righteous act sets all mankind free and gives them life. Question, keep writing, question. How much of all is all? Answer. All means all. All means all. All by his right. Keep, keep writing by his righteous life and sacrificial death. God in Christ has reconciled. Yep. Romans 510. God has reconciled 
and justified, that would be Romans 5.18, all the human race. You say, come on, come on, pastor. You saying that the whole human race will be saved? I wish, I wish Bill Gates. Did you hear what happened to Bill Gates this last week? Huh? You know Bill Gates. Did you hear that the Queen of England, God bless her, she knighted him. Did you hear that? She put the ceremonial sword on his shoulder. He's now a knight. Now, he cannot go by Sir William Gates. You have to be a citizen of the British Empire to go by Sir. But he can now write his name, William Gates, KBE, Knight Commander of the British Empire. Wow. I was reading that in the newspaper. Do you know how much Bill Gates, richest man in the world almost, do you know how much he's worth? $48 billion. Now, ladies and gentlemen, just suppose Bill Gates hears about Andrews University and the 3,000 students at this university. And he says, man, I am so impressed with that school. I would like to help those students out. Just suppose that Bill Gates decides that he is going to write a personal check to all 3,000 students at Andrews University to the tune of one million dollars. Wow. Hey, by the way, if Bill, hey, hold, hold, hold on. If Bill Gates wrote $3,001 million checks, he, has he dented his fortune? No, he just spent $3 billion. He has another, he has another $45 billion left. And so let's just say, hey, wait a minute. He says, I not only love those students at Andrews University, I love all of Bering Springs. I'm going to give it, I'm going to write a check to the other 3,000 who live in that village. Anybody objecting to that now? No. So he writes another $3,001 million checks. Oh, hallelujah. I got a check. I got a check from William Gates for a million dollars. Ladies and gentlemen, are you a rich person with that check? Are you a rich person with that check? If that check is left in your pocket, are you a rich person with that check? Come on, come on, come on. Tell me, how do checks work? The only way you will ever get wealthy from the incredible gift that has already been given to you is if you take the check, really believe that the check is true to that astronomical sum, and you walk to the bank and you say, I would like to cash this check now. Don't do it at Burying Teachers Credit Union because there won't be anything there, trust me. This, this is a poor community. They don't have anything in their vaults over there. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to cash the check in order to be wealthy. At Calvary, listen to me now. At Calvary, God signed a personal check to every member of the human race. Every baby, every mentally retarded, handicapped child, every pagan. He signed a check. Eternal life. Sign in blood. It's yours. At Calvary, God, Paul just told us, God justified the entire, all the human race. By the way, what Paul is teaching us here is the only way you can get off the hook of Augustine's teaching. Because otherwise, what are you going to do with babies? What are you going to do with babies? All right? If, if, if it's not true, if it's not original guilt, what are you going to do with the babies? You say, well, Dwight, I think what I'll do is I'll wait and see how their parents have turned out. If their parents turn out good, I save the baby. If their parents turn out rotten, I lose the baby. What kind of a God would we make Jesus out to be? 
It's not the baby's fault who the parents are and how they turned out. The baby died. You know what I believe? I believe that there are going to be hundreds of thousands of babies who will grow up in eternity. Because at Calvary, God, the baby didn't know. Is, is there a check in my name for that amount? What baby knows? God cashes the check. For the baby. He cashes the check, by the way, for the mentally retarded who have absolutely no idea. By the way, he also cashes the check for the pagans who never have heard the name of Jesus and know nothing about righteousness by faith. He will save the pagans in the end if they are simply true to that little bit of light that has shined on your pathway. I'll cash the check for you too, sir. Ladies and gentlemen. Paul's teaching in Romans 5 is the only way you can get out of Augustine's conclusion of original guilt. It's the only way. Paul is right. Paul is absolutely right. Keep writing, will you? Hallelujah. Write this down. Adam's original sin. Say hallelujah with me. Adam's original sin has been superseded by Christ's original righteousness. Say hallelujah with me. Hallelujah. Original sin has been conquered by original righteousness. Say hallelujah with me. Ah, oh, come on. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, this is from a little book called Sons and Daughters of God. Write this down, will you? Isn't this something? Blessed is the soul who can say, I am lost in Adam, but restored. Oh, I like that. I am lost in Adam, but restored by the second Adam. Praise God. Praise God. And that's why verse 19 reads the way it does. Let's read verse 19 together. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, the many, by the way, it has to be the many again, the many were made sinners, so also by one capital M man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What's happening in verse 19? They're cashing the check. When you cash the check, you got the fortune. Eternal life is yours if you keep that check in your pocket. If you do not cash it in, though you could have, you won't be saved. It's your choice. The check is in your hand. Your call. Wow. No wonder it's called the everlasting Gospel And ladies and gentlemen, in closing, may I say, we all need it real bad. Write it down, because let's face it, our original sins are not very, un, are, are very rather unoriginal. We sin like everyone who has gone before us, do we not? Our pride, our impurity. You think that's unique to you? Your impurity? Our dishonesty, our inability to control an appetite that just runs away with us. Hey, come on. There's nothing new under the sun. It all began that day when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit and rejected the authority of God and His Word. And so what's new? What is new? I have a loved one for whom my heart is broken. I have known him. All my life, who through a series of 
Decisions has made choices that my heart simply cannot comprehend. But as I weep before God on His behalf, I have been shown time and again that my own soul harbors the bent to the same moral corruption. And that were it not for the grace of God, I would travel down that same pathway. And get this, even in spite of the grace of God, I have partaken of that original fruit of that original sin far too callously and far too frequently. What hope is there for a heart like mine that lives with its pharisaical purity while it harbors its fallen reality? What hope is there for me? Come to think of it, what hope is there for you? Verse 20, But where sin abounded, hallelujah, grace abounded much more. What do you say to that? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lock that into your heart and soul, will you? Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. There's a wideness in God's mercy. Like the wideness of the sea. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our only hope, God's merciful assurance that because of the life and death of the second Adam, we have all been pardoned, we have all been acquitted, we have all been declared set free to come home. All of us. All of us. And how much of all is all? It's the whole human race of us. That's all. But surely, surely, that's enough for you and me. What do you say? Surely, that's enough. Oh, God. Oh, God. Is the everlasting gospel really this good news? Holy Father, what are you telling us? Dear Lord, please, let the good news go deep. Why? Why would I want to find a way to let the good news not be so good? Why would I not want your gospel to be this good? Oh, Father, it's your character. It is your mercy. Mercy poured out through the second Adam, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Father, for every man, woman, and child today, please, let us cash the check and receive the gift of eternal life that begins now. In our Lord Jesus Christ, let all the people say, Amen. Amen.